0: Good morning, this is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and you can find us at 8774 North US Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. I want you to know this morning that, that we would love to have you come join us in person Sundays at 10.30. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is what he did why he did it and how to personally get in on the story well it's just about time for the sermon to start so turn up the volume tune out the distractions and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful I wonder if you've ever heard this story It's been said that during the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes and on a horse rode past this group of soldiers who were repairing a small defensive barrier of some kind. The man observed what appeared to be the leader of this group, shouting instructions uh, with great fervor, but making no attempt to physically help make the needed repairs. The man on the horse couldn't help but inquire of the leader why he wasn't helping these men perform the repairs. Well, the response that he received was this, Sir, I am a corporal. Well, upon hearing this, the man on the horse apologized, and then he got off of his horse, and then he started helping these worn-out, uh, exhausted soldiers. When the repairs were all finished, the plain-clothed man turned to the corporal and he said, Mr. Corporal, uh, next time that you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief And I will come and help you again. This helpful servant, of course, was none other than George Washington. Now, I'll admit, I can't seem to verify that story. I searched a bit on Thursday to try to find a a reasonable source, either confirming or denying it, but to no avail. True story or not, we all recognize that what was done was the right thing to do. In fact, if if your first thought was, I doubt that's a true story, it just might prove the point in an even stronger way. Because if you doubt that that story is true, I guarantee you're doubting it because it seems too good to be true. We all understand what a great thing this would be if George Washington had actually done it. And we understand that if this is true, it says a lot about the man that George Washington was. We see these facts very clearly in others' lives, but what about our own? This morning, I-, I want us to see that service to God and others is not just some noble act which some Christians may choose to perform and others may not. In fact, rather than considering whether we're willing to perform individual acts of service, we're actually called to take the form of a bondservant, take the form of a bondservant. In other words, servanthood is to become our condition, who we are. This is essentially what we find Paul teaching in Philippians chapter 2, and he does it with uh, direct commands, you know, straightforward teaching, but he also throws in a, a number of valuable examples, and so that's why I'm calling this morning's message Exemplary servanthood. Not only are we taught to be servants, but we're shown these great examples of those who are exactly what we've been called to become. And so I'm excited to share this chapter with you all this morning. If you haven't already done so, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter two so that you can follow along with me as I read here in just a moment. As we begin this chapter, uh, we find a therefore, right? We we start, Paul starts with the word therefore Okay, and so we must ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves what this therefore is there for, right? (laughs) It, of course, is referring back to that which was most recently stated by Paul, and that being the fact that Paul wants his beloved Philippian brethren to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, And then with that in mind, we're now better prepared to start Philippians chapter 2, which begins, therefore... If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. One of the first amazing lessons that we see here is that servanthood brings about unity. Servanthood brings about unity. Look at the list in verse 2 of the things that Paul wants the Philippians to be. To be of the same mind takes work. To maintain the same love takes work. To be united in spirit takes work. To be intent on one purpose, it takes work. And when we come to verse 3, we see that humble servanthood is what's going to bring about the unity that is pleasing to God, that Paul's talking about. Paul says these Philippians are going to have to regard one another as more important than themselves. More important than themselves. You want to know what the Roman way was? You want to know what the Philippian way was? Do everything from selfishness and empty conceit. You are the most important person. But Paul's message is that unity in the church comes by doing just the opposite. In verse 4, he said, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I'll say it again. This was not the Philippian way. And you know, it's not really the American way either, is it? Church, we are as much in danger of letting our country's culture invade our Christianity as these Philippians were. And so I'm urging you to listen closely to what Paul is saying here unity takes work you don't just stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel incidentally it doesn't happen by chance it takes intentional work and specifically that work is humble servanthood we have to consider others as more important than ourselves we have to actually do that we have to actively look out for the interests of our brothers and sisters in christ and who does paul give As an example, we'll look at verse five. He says, "'Have this attitude in yourselves, "'which was also in Christ Jesus, "'who, although he existed in the form of God, "'did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, "'but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant "'and being made in the likeness of men. "'Being found in appearance as a man, "'he humbled himself by becoming obedient "'to the point of death, even death on a cross.'" For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only is Christ the best example that we could possibly have, but this example is how I know that we are to do more than just mere acts of service. We are to become servants. You see, Paul said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude, have this mind, become on the thought level a bondservant like Christ. Now, Christ didn't become a bondservant of man. He became a bondservant of God. If Christ had been a bondservant of man, he would do whatever man Wanted him to do. But Christ was actually doing the will of the Father when he came to serve. Well, likewise, we should do the will of the Father and serve others with the humble attitude that we saw displayed in Christ. Now, this means that you need to pick up the telephone and make a few more phone calls. This means that you need to make a few more personal visits. This means that you need to make a few more purchases for others rather than yourself. This means you're going to use your free time. Yes, I'm talking about nights and weekends to serve others. This means that you might even clear your schedule or take a day off from work to do something for your brother or sister who is in need. Too radical? Well, I have yet to even suggest that you do what Christ did. When I do that, you can call me radical. You hear John 15, 13 mentioned a lot. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. We like that because Jesus said it, and we know that he did lay down his life for his friends. He 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 demonstrated the greatest form of love, and we consider ourselves to be his friends, who he laid his life down for, and he considers us his friends as well. So we like that, but how often do we quote the verse just before it? Jesus also said the, in the previous verse, verse 12, John 15, 12, he said, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says, "Greater love has no one than this, the one lay down his life for his friends. If we love that Jesus laid down his life for us, then we better love How Jesus loved. Love like Jesus. You know, come to think of it, maybe Jesus was the radical one. Anyway. Paul's letter continues in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, just because Paul isn't there doesn't mean the Philippians should just pause their lives or their obedience. Paul says now much more, even more so now. Paul encourages the Philippians to be striving for unity, not being selfish, but looking out for others and serving uh, those others as Christ, our great example, would. And here in verse 12, Paul calls this working out their salvation. You see, every single one of us is to be participating and doing our part to have unity. Every single one of us is to be looking out for the concerns of others. Every single one of us is to be striving together with the humble attitude that we see in Christ's example. We aren't saved by these things, but we are saved to do these things. And insofar as we choose not to do them, choose not to do them, then we are choosing not to be faithful to God. And so that is why Paul calls this working out your salvation. This is very much related to salvation. Disunity and discord among members of the Lord's church is unacceptable. And as you can see, extremely dangerous. God is working uh, in you, both to will, right, to desire to do good things, and to work. He gives you also the strength to do the things, Paul says. He's at work in you. And so if you choose not to do what you know you're called to do, what you know you're supposed to be doing, then you're choosing not to be faithful to God. And so you can see why this would be not only unacceptable, but extremely dangerous. It works against the Lord's purpose. And that leads me to another lesson that I want us to see here. Servanthood serves the gospel. Servanthood serves the gospel. What I mean by this is in the next few verses, we're going to see that when we serve with the humble attitude of Christ, it serves the cause of Christ. It helps spread the message of the gospel. Our humble servanthood to God, manifested in service to our brothers and sisters in Christ and resulting in unity, creates a powerful witness for Christ. First of all, look at verse 14. Paul says, Do all things. Without grumbling or disputing, do all things without grumbling or disputing, Church God hates grumbling and disputing. you think hate is a strong word in First Corinthians chapter ten verses nine through ten. See if you hear some some strong language here. Paul was writing about the Hebrew people who Moses was leading through the desert, and he said, "Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed." By the serpents. Verse 10 says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. That grumbling with God's people against God's leaders is a pretty serious thing to God. That disputing or trying the Lord, which is questioning Him, which is distrusting Him, also very serious to God. This is obviously a matter of the heart. You can see that. It's a it's a matter of the heart. You can't just force yourself to do some kind things every once in a while, grumbling and disputing the whole time, and expect God to be pleased. You can't do what Paul has said to do while you sit there and grumble under your breath about it or complain to others about others the whole time. You can't do what Paul is commanding Christians to do while you question God's methods the whole time. Again, we shouldn't grumble or complain we should just do what we've been called to do because it serves the cause of Christ. It causes the gospel to make progress, to make inroads, to advance. Look at verses 15 and 16. All these things he said to do, he says now in verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life. That's the gospel. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. When we truly live as humble servants seeking unity, we prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent. That, that idea of proving means that we're tested and that there are results. And in this case, the result will be blamelessness and innocence. Blameless, meaning that others can't find fault with us, and innocent, meaning that we truly seek to do no harm to anyone. When the world sees us tested, or or as Paul calls them, uh, this crooked and perverse generation, when they see us tested, we want them to see these results, blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach. Now, now we don't just want to do this, you know, to appear uh, different, just, you know, for kicks. We don't want to appear blameless and innocent so that the world will like us. Not that we don't want them to like us, but we're not, we don't want that to be our motivation, We don't want to appear above reproach just to stick it to those sinners. No, God wants us to appear as lights in the world. Based on the Greek words here, uh, this might be better translated as stars in the universe. Think of a star shining brightly in the midnight sky. You can't miss it. And its beauty is understood and appreciated by all who see it. No one denies that's beautiful. Our humility and harmony, our service with a smile, our kindness toward our kind is also like a beacon, drawing others out of the dark and into the light themselves. In verse 16, Paul calls what we have to offer the word of life. When we grumble and dispute among one another and even toward God, the world doesn't see light, it sees more darkness. It doesn't see hope, it just sees more despair. This crooked and perverse generation doesn't see somewhere to turn. It sees something to turn away from. We read last week in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 about how Paul's circumstances, he said, had actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And then in verse 13, he said that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. Sounds like progress to me. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that these facts could be attributed at least in part to Paul's example. Yes, he preached and taught in his own rented quarters uh, for two years, the Bible says, to anyone who would come and listen, but nobody listens to a hypocrite, do they? I think it's common sense to assume that part of the reason Roman palace guards and everyone else understood Paul's plight, understood the cause of Christ, is because of his example. No doubt, they saw his sacrificial service. They heard his words, but they saw his sacrificial service, his humble attitude, his joy through suffering, and his commitment to Christ. And that makes my final point pretty easy to see. Servanthood should be celebrated. Servanthood should be celebrated. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. The Jews and the Greeks would both pour out a cup of wine as part of their sacrificial rituals. Uh, Jews would pour out wine next to the altar before the sacrifice was offered. The Greeks would pour the wine directly on the sacrifice at the end. No one in Paul's day would miss this picture that he's painting uh, of himself if he is indeed martyred for his faith. No one would miss this picture of Paul being poured out like a drink offering on the obedient faith of the Philippians. Here's one of the many ways that Paul provides himself as an example of his teaching. Now, he's not holding himself up and saying, look at me. Instead, he's just writing to them about his feelings, writing to them uh, about what is true, what is right, how he feels, uh, what he's thinking. And through that, he serves as this wonderful example. Uh, Paul practiced what he preached. If he died a martyr's death here in Rome, he believed it to be a beautiful thing, like a drink offering, and worthy to be rejoiced over. He basically said to the Philippians, if I die now, celebrate that we served one another in Christ right? They served one another. You know, Paul, he went and he converted them to Christ. He discipled them. He led them. He encouraged them. And they, through their obedience and their faith, they also poured into him encouragement. They helped him to continue on in Christ even stronger than before. If Paul died now, he says, basically, it's something to be celebrated. Once again, we might think that Paul would be concerned with his own current set of circumstances, but his concern here is for the Philippians. A perfect example of uh, verse 4 that we read earlier here in chapter 2, uh, of where he said, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul is just concerned about them. Look at verse 19 with me now. Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition." Again, Paul's concerned about the Philippians and the thing that would encourage him right now is to know how they are doing. Well, Paul continues in verse 20. Uh, he's referring to Timothy here. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel Like a child serving his father. Verse 23 says, Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Now, what I want you to notice here is the example of Timothy. Is he a good example of looking out for the interests of others? Absolutely. Paul says he is genuinely concerned for their welfare. Now he doesn't specifically say that, but he does because he says there's no one else. I want to send Timothy to you because I don't have anybody else who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Meaning Timothy is the guy who is that, right? While others seek after their own interests, that's not Timothy. Paul seeks after the interests of Christ Jesus. The Philippians they knew Timothy well, right? He, he, they knew his proven worth, Paul says. They knew Timothy and Timothy knew them and Timothy cared deeply about them. You might remember about 10 years prior to the time that they're writing this letter, Timothy was with Paul as many Philippians were converted to Christ and the church was started there. Here's a man, Timothy, whose heart for others, whose unselfish spirit and attitude of Christ should be rejoiced over, should be celebrated. His servanthood should be celebrated. But there's one more great example that Paul specifically says that we ought to get excited about. Listen to the end of Paul's letter, starting in verse 25. He says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now, real quick, before we talk about Epaphroditus, I just want to point out Paul's continuing example of servanthood here. He's concerned about Epaphroditus's concern for his Philippian brethren. He talks about how he was so concerned when Epaphroditus was critically ill. He was so thankful that God saw fit to intervene and not let Epaphroditus die. And, of course, he was terribly concerned for the Philippians' worry for their messenger and their minister Epaphroditus. So Paul continues to be this wonderful example. But let's look at what Paul said about Epaphroditus. He calls him his brother. He calls him his fellow worker. He calls him his fellow soldier. Epaphroditus obviously took on great risk in traveling from Philippi to Rome. Uh, this was what we might call inconvenient at the least. And he nearly died as a result. Epaphroditus was concerned not about his own interests, but the interests of others. Paul wants the Philippians to know that Epaphroditus is indeed a dearly loved brother in Christ. In Paul's view, he is indeed, and very much is, a dearly loved brother. He wants them to know, in his mind, Paul uh, believes that Epaphroditus truly is an effective fellow worker for the gospel. He wants the Philippians to know what he thinks about Epaphroditus. And Paul says that he is a fellow soldier, meaning Epaphroditus fought alongside Paul. Paul wants the Philippians, to know that Epaphroditus did what they sent him to come and do, to minister, to to help, to help ease the burden on Paul. Once again, Paul's concern for Epaphroditus and for the rest of the Philippians, he wanted them to understand that Epaphroditus had served well and that he was very much appreciated. And what does he say? Verse 29, he says, receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Sounds like celebrate. When he gets back, after all he's been through and everything he's done, you celebrate that. You rejoice with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Do you know any servants who do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, they regard one another as more important than themselves Do you see any servants who do not merely look out for their own personal interests, but also the interests of others? Have you ever been blessed by somebody with the attitude which was also in Christ Jesus, someone who took the form of a bondservant? Receive these ones in the Lord with all joy and hold these people in high regard. But let me close by saying this. Don't only hold people like this in high regard, strive to become like this. We need the attitude of Christ. Each of us needs to become like these faithful, selfless servants that we read about in this chapter because servanthood brings about unity and servanthood serves the gospel. And yes, servanthood is a thing to be celebrated. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now, have you obeyed the gospel? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So, the gospel is the power of god for salvation well in first corinthians chapter 15 verses 1-4 through 4, the, the apostle paul writes now i make known to you brethren the gospel which i preached to you which also you received in which also you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I wanna read Romans chapter six, just verses three and four for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter six, verses three and four, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening, and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that He will bless you this week as you seek His truth.